What if I told you that the very first and perhaps one of the most complete models of evangelism is actually found in the part of our Bibles that we today call the Old Testament. Now, I know what you may be thinking when we talk about evangelism or the Great Commission. You would typically think about the New Testament. You would typically think about Jesus and his call to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature, baptizing them and teaching them all that he has commanded us. But I want to submit to you that we have oftentimes overlooked one of the deepest and most revelatory stories in the Bible and the elements of evangelism that it teaches us. And that is the story of Moses and the Israelites as God takes them out of Egypt into the story of the Exodus. When we think about Moses, the law, also known as the Torah or instructions of God or anything from the Old Testament, sometimes we can think that those things are incompatible with who Jesus ended up being and what he taught. But this is actually not true. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 verse 17 that he came to fill up. That is to bring meaning to the Torah and the prophets or what we know as the Old Testament today. And he says very adamantly that he did not come to abolish it and that if anyone teaches that it is abolished or it doesn't need to be kept, that person will be called least in the kingdom of heavens. And so very clearly, Jesus is telling us, look at the Torah and the prophets. Pay attention to it because I am here to give meaning to it. You see, Jesus points to the Torah and the prophets and the Torah and the prophets points to him. And ultimately, it, it, it teaches us more about him. It teaches us more about who God is because Jesus is the perfect image of how God desires each and every single one of us to walk. He is the model that we are all to follow. It is he is God's model and ideal plan from the beginning on how God desires his children to walk. Now, Jesus says that he came to fulfill, to give meaning, more meaning to the Torah and the prophets. Now, in the Torah and the prophets, we need to understand that he looked towards them, the laws in them as well, and he was obedient to that which was applicable to him. Because if he was not, he would have sin. One of his main roles and missions on earth was not to just die for our sins, but to live a sinless life so that he can die for our sins. The only way that you can have a sinless life is if you obey the law of God, because one John three verse four says that if you want to understand what sin is, you need to understand that sin is the transgression of the law. 
So if you want to know what sin is, you need to know what the law is because if because the law will teach you what to do, because if you break the law of God, that is the definition of sin. That is why Jesus was obedient to all the commandments that was applicable to him as the Messiah. And that made him a suitable sacrifice. In 2 John 3 verse 4, we furthermore read that whoever abides in Jesus ought to walk as he walks. Therefore, we need to be walking after the model that he has set forth for us. Now, that means that Jesus had a foundation. He had a foundation in the Torah. He followed the law of God like we established because he had no sin. And then he came and he brought meaning. He said, I came to fulfill, to bring meaning to that walk even further. And so we see that when we talk about evangelism or the Great Commission, Jesus was not the one in our New Testament era to invent evangelism only there. Evangelism was actually invented, well, of course, by God, but way before that, even in the story of Moses. And today we will see how Jesus took that because he walked out the Torah and the prophets and then he brought more revelation. He brought more fulfillment and meaning to that. And this will allow us to understand why Jesus did things the way he does things, why God does things the way he does things, especially when it comes to the Great Commission or evangelism or even what we can call walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is not something that was invented in the New Testament either. It is something of old. We even read in Genesis how the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God hovered over the water. And so the Holy Spirit wasn't invented in the New Testament, right? The Holy Spirit has been around from the beginning. And so therefore the movings and the spiritual giftings even of the Holy Spirit has been there from the beginning. It has only changed in the way that how and how they have been exercised more powerfully when we enter the New Testament for some reasons that we're going to be talking about soon here. So let's dive into the story of Moses and the Israelites, and we will discover Moses's evangelistic model that God gave him. So we will be picking up this story with Moses and the burning bush. We know that Moses was drawn by this bush. And he actually says in the book of Exodus that when he saw it, he was intrigued by it. He he looked upon it and he couldn't understand why does this bush burn continually but it does not burn out. And this weird bush that doesn't burn out draws him and he comes closer to investigate. And that is where he meets or he encounters God. And in fact, what happens thereafter is Moses is so overwhelmed by the presence of God there 
that he takes off his shoes. For God says that this is holy ground. And it actually says in those scriptures that Moses was afraid. Moses had a real fear of God. You see, brothers and sisters, this is one of the first elements that we need to have before God will be using us effectively as a tool in his hand for the purpose of reaching the nations of evangelism. And that is to be having a fear of God. If you don't fear God, you don't understand your place. Fear of God can only come if you have a heart that is humble, a heart that is given over to him. And when you fear God, you will be more concerned with what God has asked you to do than with any of the threats or plans or perceptions of men or anything else. All that will matter to you is that God's plan and what God has spoken will manifest. If you don't have a fear of God, anything else will sway you away from that because God will be asking you to do things that are hard. He will be asking you to do things that will need for you to die to yourself. That means that you need to have a greater fear of God than love for your own life. That's why the scriptures say that the one who loves his own life will lose it. And the one who gives up his life now will gain it. That is why, because if you fear God more than what you fear men or or even love your own life, then you won't lift up your own life or your own kingdom matters above God's kingdom matters. And then one of the first things that God tells Moses is that he has heard the cries of Israel while they are being enslaved in Egypt. And he is now going to be sending Moses out to help deliver them from the bondages of Egypt. So we see that this journey starts really with God having a desire in his heart to deliver a people group. And of course, the same thing happened in the heart of Jesus. He was sent by God to deliver the world. In Luke 19 verse 10, we read for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to fulfill the calling of God on his life to seek and save the lost. He came to proclaim the good news that there is freedom coming. And he ended up dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And that is the salvation that he offers. God told Moses in Exodus 3 verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And this is exactly what God then told us to do through Yeshua, through Jesus as well. 
We read in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, God has brought forth the salvation through Jesus to us. But now we are called to lead others into that because the world does not have access to the salvation that Jesus has. Yes, he he died for the sins of the world, but they can't access it unless they are introduced to it. And therefore we are called and that is what evangelism is. We are called to introduce the world to their father, to God, to Jesus. And now they can come and enter. They can partake in the salvation that God is offering them. But they not only partake in salvation, but then they can start evangelizing others and making disciples of others themselves and leading others into it as well. That is what Jesus means when he says, go and make disciples, because me making a disciple means that disciple needs to make a disciple. And it's this endless multiplication strategy that God has provided for us. And so we know that God told Moses to go out, that he is sending Moses to Egypt and to. But who is he really sending them to? Right. He Moses is certainly going to be encountering two different audiences. He is going to be encountering both Pharaoh and Egypt, as well as Israel, the Israelite people. But he was sent by God to Israel. He was not sent to deliver Egypt. Right. We read it right in the scripture. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you bring Israel out. He didn't say I'm sending you to Pharaoh. So you bring it Pharaoh out. And so did you bring the Egyptians out? No, no. Israel is the people group that God is sending Moses to. But there's something similar that happened with Jesus. We read about this interesting story in Matthew 15, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Just send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just as Moses was officially only exclusively sent to get Israel out of Egypt. So similarly, Jesus was only officially exclusively sent to get the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, This is an interesting thing because we have this woman coming to him who has a daughter oppressed by a demon and Jesus does not answer her while she is begging him to deliver her daughter. And he just says, I have not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At this moment, Jesus is actually in a way rejecting 
her. He's saying, no, this I was not sent to you. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But who is the lost sheep of the house of Israel? You need to understand that when he says that the lost sheep is in reference to the lost 10 tribes of Israel, because there are 12 tribes of Israel officially, but the two tribes were split from the rest of the 10 and they were divided into two different kingdoms known as the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. And the one, the kingdom that had the 10 tribes of Israel was scattered abroad. They were basically scattered into the pagan nations and they lost their identity completely. They don't know who they are anymore. They basically assimilated into the nations while the two other tribes, both the tribe of Benjamin and Judah are no, do know who they are. They did retain their identity and they are who we know today as the Jewish people. When there is a reference to the lost sheep, this is who uh, the author is speaking to. And then here Jesus is speaking to that crowd of people, those people who were native born Israelites, but who lost their identity. And he said, I was sent for no one but for them exclusively. And that is why he initially is rejecting this woman asking for prayer because he did not come for her because she is not part, obviously, of that lost sheep, uh, those 10 tribes that were scattered abroad. But this is not the end of the story, right? When we read on, we read, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, "O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, this woman understood exactly what he was saying when he said that we don't throw the children's bread to the dogs. And what is what he means by that is he's not saying that she is a dog. He's really trying to say that he came to bring deliverance to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she is not that so she can't have that. But then she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. So she's basically saying, I don't need you to do much. If I can just get a crumb of what you have actually prepared for the lost sheep of Israel, I will be fine. And then he said, great is your faith because she had great faith and she was then her daughter was then made well that instant. If you've never heard about the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I encourage you to watch my teaching um, called scattered and regathered where I go into this more deeply. And so we see that, yes, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But along the way, others found him too. along the way. Others got healed, too. And yes, like Paul even said, the gospel is first to the Jew to the Jew first, right? But along the way, 
the world got saved. And that is exactly what happened to Moses too. Moses was sent to Israel. He was sent to deliver, help deliver Israel. God was delivering Israel through Moses from Egypt. And along the way, others got saved. We read as they are leaving Egypt, just after the plagues have struck Pharaoh and his house and all of Egypt, we read about how there was a mixed multitude. Exodus 12 verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. This mixed multitude simply means that there weren't just native born Israelites coming out as which was as who was targeted to be delivered, if you will. But there was a pagan group that were seeing like the Egyptians, right? They were seeing these plagues. They were seeing these horrible things that have come upon Egypt. They saw the mighty power of God. And that was the very thing that led them to say, I want to come out and follow the God of Israel too. And they were basically like this woman who said to Jesus, can I get a crumb too? And they did. In fact, they got unleavened bread crumbs because as they came out of Egypt, they came in to celebrate the, what we know today as the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they had to leave in such haste that they could only take unleavened bread. And that is what they ate. And that is the crumbs that this woman is talking about. She understands that there are there, there was unleavened bread crumbs that were afforded to be eaten by even a mixed multitude when they came out of Egypt. And so this is what the Lord offers. And this is the amazing promises that salvation is for the world, that there is more than enough for everyone. As long as they partake in the unleavened bread, that is that is without sin partaking in him. And so now back to Moses. Moses hears all these things that he needs to do, that God is sending him to Egypt to get Israel free from Pharaoh. To, and, he, and Moses hears all this and he's just thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Because I need to convince Pharaoh to let them go, which is, I mean, these slaves are a prized possession to Pharaoh. He needs to even convince his own people, Israel, to want to go in the first place. He feels inadequate. He feels inequipped. He feels like, what is he just going to go with words? Is he just going to speak? Is he just going to tell them what God told him and then they're going to want to leave? Moses understands that that would not be enough. And this is why he tells it to God. He says, Exodus 4 verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord did not speak to you. Moses, who do you think you are? God did not speak to you. Are you deceived? Have you gone mad? How do we know that you're not lying? How do we know that your words are true? You see, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. 
at this point, you know, when, when God met Moses at that burning bush, God could have told Moses, Moses, here's the Torah. Here's the word. Here's the Ten Commandments written on stone. Here's the tablets. Take it to Israel. Take it to Egypt. Go and take those tablets and shove it into the face of Pharaoh. He's going to want to let Israel go. No. No, 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 no. That's not what God did. And with purpose. Because that is not what the law is for. That is not what the law is for. But why have we used it for that? You know what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters, how often have we gone to Pharaoh, to Israel or to Egypt with this law and thrown it on the table and said, why don't you obey this? Why don't you keep this? You need to come and follow God. Look at this word. Look at this law. You need to follow God because of that. That's not what God did with Moses for some reason. He did something completely different. Instead, he came to Moses and he said, Moses, let me tell you what you're going to do. Moses, here's the staff. Pick up that pick up that stick right there. And Moses picks up the stick. And the stick turns into a snake and he's actually like, wow, and he drops it and and the snake slivers on the ground. And God tells Moses, Moses, pick up the snake again. And he picks up the snake and it turns back into a stick. And he says, Moses, take your hand and put it in your cloak. And Moses takes his hand and he puts it in his cloak and he takes it out and his hand becomes as leprous. And Moses is, and God tells him, put it back, Moses. And he puts it back and takes it out. And his hand is clean. And he says, Moses, take, you will take water. And you will pour it out on the ground and it will become as blood. And it happens. It turns as blood. And Moses say, and God tells Moses, Moses, these things you take, these signs you take. To Pharaoh, to Israel, and to the view of all of Egypt, and they will view this display of power that I will pour out across Egypt in the form of what we know today as the plagues that came upon Egypt. You see, brothers and sisters, we have had it all backwards because we get angry at Egypt, at Israel, at Pharaoh, because they don't want to hear what we have to say, because we only come with a testimony of our mouth. But Moses came in power. Moses came with the demonstration of the spirit and in power. That was his secret. That was how Messiah did it too. You see, Jesus could have gone and said, here's the word, here's the Torah, here's the, he could have walked around with those stone tablets. He could have walked around with the Torah scroll through the streets. And I'm not talking about the, anything being wrong with the word of God, the law, the Torah. It's perfect, holy and good if it is used for what it was made for. It is not made to be that sign that is supposed to replace the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not against the word, of course not, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the Torah, I'm not against it even for use in evangelism. But what I am against and what God is against and what Yeshua and even Moses was against was taking a testimony of the word and using that while completely throwing out the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Without the truth, without the spirit, the truth is powerless. The spirit is what gives power to the truth. Just like if you have the spirit, but you have no truth, it can be dangerous because you can't discern anymore for what is right and wrong with you of the truth. You see what our dilemma is here, brothers and sisters, is we need both spirit and truth. And if you lack one or the other, you will fail your evangelistic calling, which is the Great Commission. Each and every one of us has been given and it is part of each and every one of our lives. Go into the world, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all I've commanded you. That is the call, not just for some of us, not just for the pastor, the prophet, but me, you and everyone else who calls himself a believer, a disciple. And so we see that these signs are demonstrated by Moses. And these signs are the very thing. Listen to me, this is important. They are the very thing that causes not just those native born Israelites to be let to go by Pharaoh who has such a hard heart. It not only it, it not only changes Pharaoh, breaks Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh has to let them go. And it not only even takes Israel's hearts and shows them the power of God to let them want to leave too. Which if that was done, that was the end of it, that would have been amazing, right? But that's not where it ends. We read like we read earlier about how there was even a mixed multitude, a bunch of Egyptian pagans who came out with Israel too. Because they saw these incredible miracles, spiritual gifts of Moses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that was what drew them out too. And that is exactly what we need today, brothers and sisters. We need, we need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if that power, those spiritual gifts like Moses had, does not manifest in our lives, you will not see Pharaoh let God's people go. This world has a hand, a strong arm around the people of God because the Holy Spirit has been kicked out. But I tell you that if you take the Holy Spirit, you allow him to fill you again in power and you step forth in power and you're going to be like Moses who comes to God and saying, God, my words is not enough. They will not believe me if I come to them and tell them what you told me. I need something to show them. Then God will surely do for you what he did for Moses. Do for you what he did for Peter, the disciple. What he did for Jesus himself and all the other apostles. And even the 70 others that were sent out later. And the countless others that were sent out later to proclaim the gospel. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it for you. 
but you need to want it. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something very difficult about what Moses did. It takes a lot of trust in God to come before Pharaoh with a stick. It takes a lot of trust in God to come before the Red Sea with a stick. Do you get what I'm saying? Like the amount of trust and faith. My wife just recently told me, you know, she said something very true. Keeping the commandments of God, that's easy. You know, you God says, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. Oh, it's easy. You just do what he says, right? But when it comes to the spiritual gifts, God is like, lay your hands on the sick and let them recover. God tells Moses, take your stick and throw it on the ground before the most powerful evil ruler in all of Egypt, Pharaoh, and you will be able to be an opponent to him. Like, are you kidding me? In light of God's other commandments, that is horribly hard, isn't it? You see, brothers and sisters, that is why we don't like spiritual gifts. It's because they are hard. Not for God, but for our minds. Because the spirit of God is a supernatural spirit, a spirit of power, a spirit that changes the physics of this world and does what we call miracles. That's very hard to deal with for many of us. And you can keep as many commandments as you want, but unless you start walking in spiritual gifts, you have not demonstrated the faith that Jesus and his disciples have demonstrated the faith that Moses have demonstrated. We all want to be like Moses or like Jesus. We all want to enter this tribulation period. We all want to say that, oh, when the end of days come, we're going to have faith. We're going to be able to do all these things. We're going to be able to stand strong, but we can't even do something as simple as praying for someone who we bump into. We can't do any of those stepping out of our comfort zone things. What makes us think that we'll be able to stand when they put a gun to our head and ask us if we're going to deny Jesus or not when they or when they have a gun to our childhood? I know these are hard things to think about, but let's just be real here. Moses was facing life and death with Israel, life and death with his own life. Life and death all the way through when those chariots were chasing them. This was not just a cute little thing. This was something real and deep. And our American dream lifestyles are a, or is a sickening thing. When we live this thing that we call American dream, where we have this nice lukewarm Christianity that we live, because that is what it often is. Because we live in this place where we are so comfortable just doing these little things, but we don't step out to walk in power of the Holy Spirit. And don't tell me that I'm overreacting. Because, with, because Jesus would not allow you to walk after Him. He would not allow you in His fellowship if you... If you refused to step out to walk in the Holy Spirit, he would he would disciple you. But if you don't eventually step out and say, I will die to myself 
I will leave everything, everything people care. I will give up my own life for this thing. I will be willing to die for this thing. Moses was willing. Moses was willing and he did. He died for this thing. Peter died for this thing. Jesus died for this thing. What makes you think it's different for you? He says, if you're not worthy to pick up your cross, that is to be crucified. You are not worthy to be my disciple. That is what he said. That is the words of our Messiah. So, brothers and sisters, I need you to understand where, we, where I'm getting at. The Torah is beautiful, perfect, holy, good. But it was the supernatural demonstration of the Holy Spirit that got them out of there. And then they were brought to Mount Sinai. And after seeing God's love through his deliverance and his power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit brings love when he brings that deliverance that we are supposed to minister. Now they've seen all these things. Now they have a reason to want to hear the word. But if you have the word and you give the word before you give them reason to want to look at it, there's going to be no profit. The word is there to show them where they are wrong, what sins they have, what they need to repent of. Yes, but they first need to want to repent by seeing God's love and kindness. Was it not the kindness of God that drew you into a relationship with God? Yes. His kindness, his love. And so with these things in mind, now Moses gives the commandments to Israel and that rocky road starts. But nonetheless, it started with the Holy Spirit and demonstration of it. Paul the Apostle also leaned on the demonstration of the Spirit and power in his ministry above all else. He said this, And my speech and my message were not implausible words, not just in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom or the words of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying the same thing Moses is doing at the burning bush. Paul is saying not in the words, not in just a word testimony, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Just like Moses told God, God, my words are not enough. I'm going to need something more to give. And that's what he did. And so in this conversation between God and Moses, with God through this burning bush speaking to him. This is all that this whole story has been about is this encounter. It begs the question, why is God appearing in a burning bush? God could have appeared in many ways and in many other places in scripture. He has appeared in other ways. But why in a burning bush here? To understand the answer to this, we need to ask a question. What is the biggest danger to any tree? If you've been following the news with all the wildfires all across the world, including especially Australia right now, it's no secret that probably the biggest enemy to a tree is fire. Fire can burn a tree to ashes. And similarly, this was why uh, Moses was actually drawn to the burning bush in the first place. Because like we mentioned in the beginning of this teaching, 
Moses was drawn to this tree because he saw it burning continually while it was not burning out. This was a strange phenomenon, of course. So that's what drew him, right? And so now we know fire is the biggest enemy of a tree. What is the biggest enemy to the human soul? I want to submit to you that it is God himself. Fear not the one who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna, in hell. And that is God. He has the power to destroy the human soul. No one, nothing else in this world has that kind of power. In fact, in Exodus 19, verse 18, God is said to have been coming on Mount Sinai when he gave the law in fire. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. This is why God told Israel to stay away from the base of the mountain. The fact is, is that God is so holy, so pure, so perfect, so powerful that we are incompatible with him because we are not. We are not holy. We are not perfect. We are, in fact, full of sin. And because of this, we can't come near him. And this poses a big problem. And so lastly, this tree, I want to submit to you, this tree that is burning in the burning bush or trees in general are often associated to represent people. For example, in Psalm 1 verse 3, we read, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Mark 8 verse 24, we also read, about the man who was healed of his blindness. And he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, there is this connection where trees are often used as a metaphor for people. And I want to submit to you that now we can complete the picture of why God appeared in a burning bush. The reason that God appeared in a burning bush to Moses you need to understand the context. This is he is there telling Moses that he is basically going to, through his Holy Spirit, work miraculous wonders through Moses. And he is basically saying, Moses, this tree is burning. So that is what I want to do in you, Moses, and in the coming generations who will be immersed in my spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, what God was really doing there is he was giving us a subtle prophecy of the future where there will come a time when Israel, when God's people, when the mixed multitude, all who call on his name will be able to be trees that are burning for him. You see, we are by nature incompatible with God. If we are as trees, get fire. And we are set alight like those burning trees in Australia. We will just burn up 
Because God is so powerful and he will burn us out in an instant. Just like Israel touching the mountain base, they will die in an instant. But God says there is coming a time when I will take away the barrier, the partitioning wall of separation, the thing that stops the fire from coming and burning continually on us, that thing called sin. And when he comes to take away sin, we will all be able to burn for him. And that is what Jesus did. That is what Yeshua did. He came to die for us so that we can now be free from sin so that God's fire, his spirit, which was so powerful, perfect, which would previously overwhelm us and destroy us, could now come and burn in us and burn through us continually. And oh, when you see, then, then you will see. When the people see you from afar as a tree, just like all the other trees in the forest, just like all the other trees, everyone is a tree, but your tree burns with a fire that burns continuously. And that will be the thing that draws them. Just like Moses was drawn, they will be drawn to this fire and to come and say, what is it about this fire? What is it about this fire? This tree, this tree that burns continuously and the fire does not quench and the fire does not burn the tree out. You see, brothers and sisters, that burning bush is simply what God is calling you into. It is what God is calling us, all of us who have the blood of Christ on us to walk in a fire to burn for him, for us to rise on fire for our God and to burn for him so the world can come. So that mixed multitude around us can come to repentance. You see, then it will be that you're not going to just be going to this or that people group, but you will be a flame that everywhere you go, the people will see you just like when that woman saw Jesus, even though she was not the person that he was called to. She saw the fire that he had because he burned continuously and she received a part of that deliverance, too. And so just as Exodus 5 verse 1 says, how God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. So, brothers and sisters, I will submit to you that this teaching, everything I've been saying here, your immersion of the Holy Spirit, your baptism of the Holy Spirit, your filling and your faith and your willingness to step out, your willingness to crucify your flesh, all these things to die to yourself. Is there going to be your proclamation to the world to let my people go? Because when the world sees that fire on you, they will be in, that will inspire a fear of God in them too. Just like that burning bush when Moses saw it, that was the thing that started inspiring a great fear in Moses to take off his sandals of his feet. So the same will happen when the world sees our burning bushes. But brothers and sisters, your bush needs to burn. You need to burn for him. And if you don't, you will be just like everyone else. What will make you different from the world if you look just like them? If your tree looks no different? Rather, 
Be a tree in the midst of the forest that burns continuously and never burns out because you have told God to set you a light. You see, brothers and sisters, if I was going to pour fuel over you and I set you a light, you're not going to care about what someone else thinks of you. Your mind is not on the other people. Your mind is on this that's going on, this fire that's going on. Similarly, if God immerses you in the Holy Spirit, he sets you on fire for him. You are not going to be thinking about other people because you're supposed to be dead to yourself. You're supposed to only have your mind on this fire, kindling it, making sure it doesn't go out and making sure that it is a worthy testimony and witness to the world around you. So I hope that this opens your eyes to evangelism, to see that while the word of God is important and while we ought to teach it, of course, and it's a very important part to come into the discipleship program, if you will, when we start teaching people, but to draw them in like Israel and that mixed multitude, you need the Holy Spirit. And without him, you will very your mission may not be impossible, but you will struggle immensely to show people a reason to want to listen to anything else you have to say to the very important things you have to say, because the word is important, but they need to be drawn to it by his power and love. I hope that this Torah portion episode has blessed you. For more teachings just like this one, subscribe to this YouTube channel. And if this teaching has blessed you, consider partnering with this ministry so we can continue putting out teachings just like this one for the edification of you, your family and your friends. Share this video so they may hear. Shalom and blessings.